Welcome to the Turkey Hunter Podcast, the original all-turkey, all-the-time podcast with your co-hosts Andy Galliano and Cameron Weddington. In our weekly podcast, we're going to bring you some wild turkey calling tips like this. From there, we're going to go into, she's aggravated, there's another hen that's challenged her, or she's challenging another hen, she's going to cut an excited yelp. Advice from old pro turkey hunters like this. The turkeys typically don't like, I think, more times than not, to travel in an easterly direction into the sun first thing in the morning, especially after he gets up. It's a blinding thing. It's just like you. It's hard for you to see into the sun. Mm -hmm. So if I have a choice, I'm going to try to make it so that I'm going to be on the west side in the morning east side in the afternoon of a turkey exciting live hunts like this teach you how to cook your bird with advice such as this with some fresh rosemary and garlic and then cool that off and spread that along the inside of that butterflied turkey breast that we've seasoned on both sides wildlife management tips for your property especially with turkeys like this if you look at the type of habitats that turkeys need for nesting and brooding that tends to be habitat that can be managed more successfully with growing season fire than with dormant season fire. And hopefully along the way, we'll get plenty of these. Well, on November the 28th of 1953, I was attached when I popped out of my mom and the baby doctor spanked me on the bottom. I went, oh, and I've been doing it ever since. <laughs> I like that. Thank you for tuning in, and now, for this week's show. Hello, and welcome back to this week's episode of the Turkey Hunter Podcast. You are listening to episode number 435, Challenging Spring Gobblers, with Roger Parks. This is from the Unicoi seminar that he did this year. 2023 and I am your co-host and the guy who well sounds a lot like you did last week because it's still last week yeah and I'm your co-host and the guy who's currently off to war and this is pre-recorded so yeah so hope you guys enjoy it but we we can't share what's going on currently because we're not in the current right now we're getting this prepared prior to our flights we're in the future yes we live so in the future right if now. If you want to know how your favorite college or pro basketball team is doing currently, maybe you need some scores, just reach out to us. <laughs> IG is a great way to get Cameron or me and ask us what the score is on a particular basketball game, and then we'll reply back with that score. You get in touch with your bookie, guaranteed win. Yeah, I'll let you uh, do that, Andy, because I don't want to get sued for the false advertising. But, you know, <laughs> I 
am assuming and hopeful when guys hear the voice of you and I that we will both be on the board for spring 23. I hope so, too. So, regardless, right. it'll be a fun trip. That's the name of the game. Yeah, I can't wait. I'm super excited. and It, it is going to be awesome regardless of how things turn out. And hopefully, you guys are going to enjoy this show we got today. I actually... I didn't get to go to Unicoi, as we all know. Andy got to go, but I'm going to try to change that next year. I think I'm going to really try to make it, even though my dog will be very upset with me. But I have talked to Roger. I've talked to him on the phone. Now, we were mostly talking fall turkey hunting and challenging fall gobblers. Probably, and I haven't heard this interview yet, or seminar, with many of the same tactics he's going to disclose for spring challenging. Yeah. So... I'm excited to hear this one. It's going to be, th- I, I think this will be useful for both fall and spring gobbler hunters. It absolutely will. Yeah. This is, I, I, I know you guys are going to get a lot of useful information out of this. And, you know, Roger's another one of those guys, just a heck of a nice guy. And there there's a lot to take away from this, you know. And, and the thing is, when I've done this in the past, it's never really been with a lot of using a lot of gobbler yelps it's been using a lot of gobbles and just within the past i don't know four or five six years been with a lot of jake yelps and we know that jake yelps depending on the year can be not such a good thing because the toms are wanting to hide from the jakes if there's gangs of jakes running around on your property that's probably not a sound you want to imitate in order to invoke some sort of response or you know a gobble or anything like that you know invoke that bird to come towards you that kind of thing because if he thinks he's going to get just ambushed by 14 jakes he's going to go the other direction or he's just going to shut up and this is a little different approach and so instead of me telling you guys about it (laughs) what do you think i think we hop in here listen to roger and see everybody on the other side Okay, um, I want to thank you all for coming. Um, some of you uh, might have been at my seminar last year when I did one on Dee Dee Adams and stuff. Um, my name is Roger Parks. I'm from central Pennsylvania. Been hunting turkeys for over 40 years. When I start, started hunting turkeys back in the late 70s, early 80s, I hunted fall three or four years before I ever even got inter- interested in, in the spring gobbler. Uh, the individual that got me started in the turkey hunting was Dee Dee Adams, the father of the modern slate, had the patent on the modern slate calls. And for years when I was going down to him and stuff, um, one of the biggest things that, that I took from him was is he was one of two hunters in my county that consistently killed adult fall gobblers every year. And one of the things that I took from him was um, he said you cannot put turkey hunter on your headstone unless you've called in and shot an adult fall gobbler. He says that is the hardest thing to do in turkey hunting by far not. Now the problem was is those old timers, him in particular, wouldn't tell us young guys nothing. He did not like NWTF, okay? Parker Whedon did not like NWTF. The reason they didn't like it was his PA's first spring season was 76. 
but but those guys hunted other states where there was spring hunting and when the NWTF started advertising turkey hunting and then you went into the age of the VHS tapes those guys didn't want any competition in the woods that's why they didn't like NWTF but he was very tight-lipped on on gobbler stuff I could get stuff out of spring turkey hunting and stuff for him and stuff but he was tight-lipped on that gobbler stuff well anyways through the years and stuff after he passed away I got four of his personal hunting calls okay and in them hunting calls which I never seen before was a call that he made called a gobbler call and I asked his, his uh, nephew I said is this what he used to gobbler you up with he said absolutely now his was a glass it was double glass I, I started when I started making mine I tried double glass stuff well, I ended up with a slate okay but anyways when I seen that and then I started experimenting with calls trying to get a call that would do gobbler yups okay and I was able to come up with that in in 92 okay which was my original gobbler call which has a solid back on it now this is off of Dee Dee's mold I'm the only one outside of the family that has access to that plastic. Now there was a couple at Tuscarora Legend Mountainside, looks very similar to this. That is not the same mold as this, it's off a different mold. But anyways, when I come up with this, my intentions at that time were just for gobbler stuff. But when I took that call and used it in the spring, I found that there, the big difference was that I've learned, and that's what I want to stress about this seminar, is running gobbler yelps for spring turkeys. Now, I've probably told some of you this already. Everybody thinks mating's number one in the spring. Not me. The reason I say that is, is if you've ever had anybody raise chickens, and you got one rooster doing the breed, and you bring another one in, what happens? They want to fight, okay? That dominance thing is an all-year-round thing. So when come, somebody comes up to me and says, ah, I can't do nothing with them, they're all hand up, I laugh. Because I don't call like a hen in the spring much anymore. What I do is I try to challenge that gobbler, and I try to hit them with gobbler yelps. And believe me, I tell people when they buy it, especially when they buy that gobbler call or a version of it, I said, run everything else you've ever run. And I said at the last minute, last call you try you try that gobbler call and you won't believe the phone calls I get back and anyways what I do is is as I basically challenge him into fighting and stuff now I know three years ago in the spring between four different states I killed 13 gobblers that spring only one of them was killed before noon the rest of them were killed from 12 o'clock on now these birds, I'd hear them in the morning and stuff, but I couldn't do much with them. But I didn't force the issue. But what I did was, I went home, ate lunch, took a nap, and I was back in there at three o'clock. And what I did is I went in there and I strictly did gobbler stuff. And that's what they died to. Now the, the thing about that whole situation is was 13 of them, one before noon. But there was four other birds that I called in that I didn't get. So, you know, that's, that's what I'm, I mean, late, to, for me, late, late, if I can hunt all day, I, I hunt late. Late's my best time, especially when 
because the hens are usually going there by themselves and late's, late's the big time for me. But I've learned that over the years and I've refined the gobbler call now, the one I make now. I make two versions, I make the original one and I also make, a, my intentions work to build a double-sided one, okay? What, the reason I put the hole in it was, is when I run these calls, the way I hold it in my call hand, fingertips, hen stuff, Jake stuff, half cupped, gobbler call, gobbler yelps, flat in the hand, okay? That's how I get the pitch changed. Now I run basically three or four different strikers, okay? But that's what I do with the gobbler call. Now I also, I also, Marvin Breedlove was that brought me, brought a scratch box in over there and he said, I want you to listen to this. And it had a phenomenal gobbler yelp in it. And he said, this one's mine. He says, if I make another one, he says, you're gonna get it. I can tell you right now, I don't buy many turkey calls, but if I could have bought that call, it'd have been the only one I bought down there because that's in my, that's in my line. Now, I'm, I, run, I run a box. Um, this box is nothing like what you're gonna see down there. Um, this is made by a guy in Alabama by the name of Donnie Richards. Now, you look at that sound chamber in that box. That is a big sound chamber, okay? What he built this for, I think from what he told me, he's the only one that ever built a box that won Grand Nationals for Gob, okay? And when he, when he got this, I heard him, he played it over the phone for him and I heard the gob in it. Well, I heard something key in there. Thought it might have been my phone. They can call back later. But anyways, Believe me, when I'm in Walmart or something and they hear that key in on the phone, you won't believe me the looks I get. But anyways, when I heard that gobble in this box, I, I heard that deep tone and stuff, and I'm thinking, man, that, thing, that thing's got potential to have a gobbler yelp in it. So I called him up, and he sent me a call on four or five lids, and I monkeyed with it and stuff. But this thing has got a phenomenal gobble for a box call but that ain't what I wanted it for. Now you see the tape on the side? That's just where, where I put finger holes on it, okay? This is my Jake Yelp. Gobber Yelp. When I fall hunt, I don't take a call in the woods that's got a hen gelp in it because I only have a certain amount of time to hunt. If I go to hen stuff, I see young turkeys and stuff, I, I don't want to waste that time on young birds. I haven't shot a young fall bird in 12 years. Out of the last 13 years, I've killed 11 fall gobblers. And like I said, I, I strictly stick to that gobbler stuff, but, but I do the same thing in the spring. Is, is I'm very hard on gobbler stuff, especially on birds, especially. The problem is, is, is our seasons are set up. PA comes in May 1st. Our breeding's done by then. 
our hens are on the nest. They want the birds to be on the nest. If you take notice, you've got groups of gobblers running together, pairs of gobblers running together. Well, that's a sign that your season's tailing off, okay? They're hard to deal with when they're together. And you get a group of four, four, four or five gobblers, they'll gobble and they'll come so far, but they won't commit because they're together. Well, how I get them to c commit is by gobbler yelps. Now, I'm going to give you a hunt. It was in Alabama about three years ago, and it was in the 20s, high, high 20s, below freezing. Now, what I experienced coming south is, is your birds don't gobble very good when it's cold like that. In PA, if there's a frost, they're tearing the woods down. But we didn't hear nothing until about 8.30, 9 o'clock, and it warmed up. And I got a bird started with my long box. And I, what was going on was, is I think as we were going to that bird, we were getting another bird to gobble, and then we were kept going. We, we, went, we went a long ways. Well, we finally got in this hardwood bottom, and the guy I was with, he hit a wrong brother's box, and a bird cut the call. That was the first time we had a setup. We set up. He hit that wrong box again. Nothing. Now his low-end stuff on diaphragm cones is the best I've heard of anybody in the woods I've ever hunted with. He tried to diaphragm. Nothing. Hit the wrong box. Nothing. He looked at me and he goes like this. Now granted, I looked at him and I said, are you done screwing around? <laughs> and he says, have at it, Yankee. Now, I've been through this Yankee scenario before, okay? And I'm just going to tell you flat out. The way this country is right now, if Yunes would have won the war, we probably wouldn't be in the shape we're in right now. But anyways, first thing I done was, is I hit a three note on that gobbler call. You know, this is a guy I hunted with from Alabama, so you believe me when I'm going to give him when we're done here. This is my three-note gobbler. Now, take notice, I got that call blocked off flat, okay? And when I did that, pow, pow, to the right, two birds cut loose. Now, I don't call back to him right away. I'll wait at least a minute. I call it making him sweat, okay? So I didn't go back with a three note, I go with a single note. And when I usually when I single note, they come unglued, okay? So I just waited a little bit and I single note. Pow, pow, pow. Three of them. Didn't say another word. Or there was one up on the hill, he gobbled on his own. So I waited a little bit, back to that three note. They all four gobbled. I laid the call down. The one that was up on the hill was down at the bottom by now. Ten minutes later, he came in and I killed him. Philip said to me, he says, you got any more of them with you? <laughs> and I said, yeah, I do. But I said, depends on whether you learned something. He says, what do you mean? I said, what just happened here? We said, I know you. You're running gobbler yelps. I said, that ain't, that ain't, that ain't the answer. I said, what happened here? What do you mean? I said, okay, I'm going to tell you. 
The reason we didn't hear them four gobblers this morning, because they had hens with them. They didn't have to gobble. When them hens left, they were vulnerable. You hit that hen stuff, they'd been down that road before. When I hit them with that gobbler stuff, new kid on the playground. What happens when the new kid at school shows up on the playground the first time? Everybody wants to beat them up. Wasn't any difference, that's the same scenario. So that's what I'm getting at. Now, the thing of it was, I killed that one. He went in there later on and killed another one. And he said, I could have killed the two other ones that was in there too. But that's just a case of a scenario like, and it's happened not just at that time. A lot of times when I go south, when I go to Georgia and stuff, it's been the same scenario, you know. And that's, that's how effective it is, is, is if you put the time and learn how to do it right. And um, I've been doing this for, since 92, and really learning how to do it. And like I said, now, when I gobber yelp, this is, a, this is a mature gobbler, you know, flatten the hands, and I'm dragging it from there from about 2 o'clock to 6. <coughs> flatten the hand. Now, when I jake yelp, what I'm going to do is I'm going to put a two-note jake key in front of my jake yelp. Most of the times in the fall, even in the spring, them, them jakes will go, Now, I go from flat to that, okay? half cup position. Now when Jake yelps, like going down a set of steps, they'll go gonk gonk, and when they hit that last step, cut it off. You notice the speed's a little faster than the gobbler yelp? That's the difference between a Jake yelp and a gobbler yelp. Now in the fall, I run more Jake yelps in the fall than I do any time. For me, it seems like the, gob the mature gobblers and stuff are more vulnerable to a jake yelp. But in the spring, I mostly run gobbler yelps because I'm sure you, you know about terrorist jakes where you get a group of jakes together and they run your gobblers off. Well, I don't want to be in that situation, so I am strictly running gobbler yelps. But it's been very effective for me. Um, I sold this past fall, I don't know how many of these I sold. This is the newer one that's got the double side on. I don't know how many of them I sold, but I had nine guys call me and sent me pictures that kid elk killed with adult fall gobblers last fall. And two of them guys, Mr. First Bird, so you figure 11 birds, I bet you there's nobody in the country that built a call that, that guys killed nine adult gobblers with last fall. But like I said, the versatility in this call, this is my Jake Peg. I build, this is an old Cody striker, old Cody Hickory striker, but I build a Hickory striker. This is my, if I'm going to hen yelp, this is my hen peg on the front side. Well, that's not bad, okay, but it ain't what the back side is. Hear that nasally yelp? That to me is a, an awesome hen yelp. That's my hen peg. This little thing right here, little block strikers Lynch used to make with a jet slate. Now, copped, corner, one in the first corner of your finger, in the crease, put the corner in there. I only hold it with two, two fingers like that. I take these three fingers and come in like this, 
like I'm going to reach down and pick up a, some water to drink. This is a gobbler clock. Now if you're sitting there and you've been calling and you ain't heard nothing and you hear that, you better not move your head because I guarantee he's within 40 yards. He knows exactly where he's at and he's looking for you. You fall hunting, you'd have had that happen. And the hard thing about it is, is when they do it, if you're not looking at the direction that clock come from, it's very hard to pick up. And believe me, when they do it behind you, my friend's sitting in here, he said it's like a dog passing a peach seed when they do it behind you. And that's just about what it does. It puts that shivers down your back because you, you know what that situation usually results up in. What I use, I'll, I'll gobber you up a lot. And if I get a gobber's attention, say he's not real interested in stuff, I'll just sit back and every 15, 20 minutes hit, the, hit him with that gobber clock. A lot of times they'll come in, they won't come in, they won't come in gobbling or anything, but a lot of times they'll come in and you'll be sitting there and you'll go, bonk. <laughs> I, I got it pretty much pretty much flat on the bottom of the call and like I said the key the key is this hand here is taking that and cupping that because when you cup that call like that you change the resonance okay I mean I mean if, if you run that outside out of carrot country now now this tracker also got a little bit of Jake stuff in it But I mainly use it to clock with. Okay? Now, since you're the closest here, take this Jake peg and just bounce it like that on your fingers, like this here. Now, big difference in there. This is about 14 grams, this is 23 grams. And what would I use a striker that light for? Keying in the fall. Now I don't, I don't key in the spring, but I have, I've had had some instances very late season, like the last few days. It was one year in New York State. I'm sitting up there and I got a gobbler out in the field. I've been watching, and he wasn't moving. After a bit, I'm sitting there, and after a bit, come up and over the ridge, I hear this wee 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 wee. And I mean, she was. I thought, damn, here comes a damn hunter. And I look, and I was totally surprised. Here she comes. She come by me. She went right out in that field, right where that gobbler had. Well, you know what? I, I didn't. I couldn't do nothing after that. But I actually thought when I heard her coming, I mean, she keyed just like she you would be in a fall situation. But don't think they don't key in the spring, especially you get a hen that had has some poults. That's what she does is to keep them poults together. But if she loses them some, in some situations, they'll key. They'll key late season a lot, just like just like they do in the fall. But that's basically. My, my setup on my gobbler call. Now, it's not because I make it, but you go out there and you go out there in that room and you find me a call that'll do everything I just done with three or four strikers. If you find it, bring it to me. Because I don't, you ain't gonna find it. I mean, you take something that'll key like that, gobbler yelp, like Jake yelp, it's, it's, not, it's not there. That is since 1992 what I've been working on. Now I built this call here two years ago with a double-sided one. 
that's what I'm going to sell. The regular one, my original one, and this one. I built this two years ago, the first day I had it in the woods. I killed a gobbler with it in the fall. And then nine birds this past fall. But I've taken that gobbler stuff and put it into my spring stuff. It's completely changed the way I hunt. Okay? Now, I got a good friend. He's in this room that I've known for 25 plus years. And he's from Lisbon, Tennessee. And when I get down there, I'd stay at his place. I had season tickets at Bristol for 25 plus years. So I'd always go a couple of days early and we'd go out in the woods and we'd call, okay? He's one of a handful of guys that can play Zach Farmer Yelper good, okay? So we're out in the woods, he's about 50 yards from me and he's hitting that Zach Farmer call. I'm running some stuff and I think, man, I ain't got nothing for that. And I thought, well, I'm gonna try something. So I gobbled up three times, you know, and he always wore this orange Tennessee ball hat with a white tee on the front. So I gobbled up two or three times. I look over, he didn't turn his head. I hit that single gobbler yelp. I got his attention. When I done that, that's probably the biggest adult gobbler I ever killed. Because if you can get Larry Prophet's attention, you've done something. And so, I'll, I'll never forget that. But uh, I've had some good, good influences. I've had Dee Dee, Lon Ricky was one of my mentors from New York. Jerry Schumann, who made calls in PA, Larry Prophet. Now, Larry and I, when it comes to fall hunting, Larry says, don't tell anybody about fall hunting. <laughs> don't tell them about it. And I tell Larry, I says, when they ask me about fall hunting, I said, it sucks. <laughs> so, you know, we, but if I had a choice, you wouldn't see me in the spring woods if I could fall hunt all the time. It's, and, and I'm not shooting young birds. I've, I'm past that stage. I want to kill old dog gobblers because of what Dee Dee always told me. But it's just some things that I've done through the years and stuff, and I've had some, some very good help. Um, when I started selling calls, it was through word of mouth. Now we got Facebook and everything, and I'm sure some of you have seen my sound files and stuff, and I did sound. When I try to do sound files, it's just like what I'm doing here. I want, I want, if you bought calls off of me at the booth, I'm right there with you. I want you to learn how to run that thing before you leave. To me, it's more satisfying that you learn how to run that thing and run it the right way. Most guys won't do that. Most guys won't spend the time with you. But anyways, that means a lot more to me when you do that stuff. Now, a couple other things I, I use. Now, I just started making this here. I've made aluminum lid long boxes for really since 2010. But one thing that I was never able to get in it that I really liked, I had a chestnut box that had it in it, but this is, this is made out of western cedar, okay? And when I first made it, I put a, the regular lid on it that I always do. It was junk. I set it on the shelf. Didn't do nothing with it. Well, I got two young boys at contest call for me, and then I got one in the senior division. And uh, one of the boys got a, a long box from TJ. And... Uh, for Ken. <coughs> and I got to looking at that long box and I seen something on there. And uh, now don't go out and tell him I figured this out, okay? <laughs> but he, he's a good friend of mine anyways. What I noticed from his screw in three inches, 
his rails were flat on the top, okay? So I got to looking at that, and I did it on this box. But what he can't do, and what nobody else can do, since that's an aluminum lid, is I made my rails three inches in flat. But when I bent the lid with the radius like this here, I let the first three inches flat, and then I built my radius, okay? Now, I built this after turkey season last fall. I wish I'd have had it hunt. But this is my box. If I, when I first made my long box, the first year I made it, that fall I killed between four different states. I killed five adult gobblers that fall with a long box. Now what I was doing with it was, as I was, get, I was, I was just running and gunning like you would in the spring. I was getting them to open up, okay, and getting them to answer. Once they answered me, and I knew what they were, then I went to this, okay. But this, this is my Jake Yelp on this box. Now when I soft call my long box, I turn it backwards and play the left side. And the reason I do that is, is so I can lay it down when I'm sitting, I lay it down between my legs. Now, on the inside of this, this is going back to the Mark Sharp uh, age. Mark, you remember when Lynch sold the boxes and put them little pegs in there, what they call a tuning peg? Take notice, I got a tuning peg in there. I went from here to here to here, and what I did is I was trying to get that Yelp to where it was lower. But you don't see, I, there's about probably not too many guys that remember about that tuning peg in there. But that's something that Lynch did, and it's something that I that I put into this box. But this box is def. Actually, I had a chestnut box that I hunted with. This box will replace that chestnut box. Now on the right side, it's got good head stuff. The left side is what I got set up for, for my gobbler stuff. Now, I haven't even showed Larry Prophet this yet. Okay, I'm a tinker, and like I said, when it comes to gobbler stuff, that's what I was looking at. But anyways, this here, if you look at that hole and you look at that hole, this was a Lynch Owl Hooter, <laughs> and I put a piece of slate on it. And I cut a slot in the back. Now what I was figuring on doing was making a cluck and purr call, okay? What I ended up doing was running a scratch box on it. This is a gobbler yoke. I guarantee you I'd have turned that Tennessee hat in the woods that day if I'd had this. That's the box I got when the gobbler yelp with. This is a scratch box, sort of like a, the guy from Gaskins, but Curtis Terrell made this. But that gobbler stuff on that call, I, I mean, that's, that's pretty solid. Would that work, Bosky? <laughs> That's just that's just some of the things I hunt with, um, as far as the gobbler stuff and stuff. I mean, like I said, it's been 
it's been very effective for me as far as it's, it's changed my spring hunting. And basically, I hope you learned something from it. If you have any questions, uh, just come and see me at the booth or something. Yeah, go ahead. Okay. Um, on, on this double-sided call, that white dot that's on there, okay, I put that on every call. That's 12 o'clock. Now, if you're right-handed, it's set up for you, okay? On the left side of the call, is I hit that with a piece of 1500 grit sandpaper, which is real fine. That's the, the black sandpaper that you, that, that you use for auto body, wet sand with. And what I do is I come in about three quarters of an inch from that edge, and I slick that up. Now, if you were to go to yelp on it, it'd be hard to yelp on it, okay? The reason I do that is, is that's where I hit that jake key, and, that, and, and I key on it. It keys a lot easier. Now, I come off of that, off of that edge with a piece of Scotch-Brite, okay? And that piece of Scotch-Brite, I come off of that, and I just rough it up normally like you would normally do with, a, with any other call. So when I go from that jake or my keys, when I jump over into that rough area, my yelps are there. That's how I prepare the call. When I build these, every piece that's put at top slate and bottom slate is mic'd to a certain spec. And that's how I take, normally if I didn't do that, this call would do nothing but hen yelp. So I, I mic that slate to a certain spec. When I get these plastics, I also put them on the lathe and I make changes internally on it strictly to get that lower tone sound that I'm looking for. That's how I prep the slate. Now, on the, uh, on the strikers, especially this striker here, my key striker, my hen striker, the end of that is just built up with slate, okay? And I do that when I send them out or when I make them. The reason I put that slate build up on there is I've never put a piece of sandpaper or had to touch this striker with a piece of sandpaper. The reason I want that slate build up on there it is easier to hit them keys with it and go into them jake yelps with it. Now, a lot of guys will take these strikers and they'll put them in a vest pocket and then them tips get to rubbing against the, and it slicks your striker up. I go buy them pencil erasers that you stick down over the end of a pencil and I stick them over the end of a striker, but I don't carry, I, this is why I carry my strikers right here, right like this here. That way I know where they're at and I know where, I mean, I don't have to root around and, I don't wear a vest. I got a Glenda Green, one well, of the first seat cushions she made, she made for me. The original guy was a, name, a guy by the name of Breedlove. I don't even know if he's around or making them. But I sent that cushion to Glenda Green. Her cushions are only about that big around. I said, Glenda, I said, I need one for a big butt, <laughs> you know. So I sent her my inner tube, and then, and then she put the strap on it. I put my long box case on the strap and stuff, and I had it here last year. I got it out there now. But I showed some guys here last year, at, and they went out, and about after the fourth or fifth guy here, she come. She says, don't you be sending no more guys out there for this. She said, she said I got enough to do right now. I said, well. I said, I'm only helping the cause. And she says, well, show them, but tell them to wait till after hunting season. <laughs> but I mean, I use, it's got that rubber inner tube in it. And uh, first time I took that thing to Alabama, my buddy, my buddy, well, he's younger than I am, he, said, he started laughing. He says, old man, he says, that's a hemorrhoid cushion. I said, I'm gonna tell you something, fat boy. I said, you come to PA, and I guarantee you, every place you set, your butt's gonna be on a rock. So I said, if you can handle that, 
you've done something, but I said, I'm too old to handle that anymore. I can't sit still if I'm sitting on a rock. But that's just some of the things that I hunt with. I, I'm a type of person, everything I buy, I order. Nothing suits me that I can buy. That's why I don't wear a vest. The reason I don't wear a vest is I carry too much stuff. I can't lose no weight, so I gotta eliminate something, so I eliminate that vest, you know, and stuff. But anyways, um, that's um, just some of the things, the different things I do when I'm hunting and stuff. And um, if you got any questions, have at it. Yeah? Compare the thickness of a gobbler yelp in the spring versus a gobble. Well, I had somebody earlier ask me, ask me if, I, if I do any gobbling with, with my gobbler yelps. In the spring, no because there's too many guys in the woods, okay? I'm not, I don't want to draw attention, okay? So I do not gobble in the spring, okay? Even if I'm on a piece of ground where there's nobody else supposed to be on there. I don't even do it on that because there's always somebody going behind enemy lines, you know what I mean? So I don't take that chance in the spring. In the fall, I'll mix that gobble in with my gobbler yelps, but in the spring, it, it, it will work. I'm sure it will work, but I don't do it for the fact that I don't want to draw attention and, and I don't want to get in a situation where, uh, where, where, because I've already been shot at once, and I was very fortunate that, uh, thank God for Russell Snake Boots because it stopped most of the shot. It, I was sitting down and hit me and hit me from the knees up, you know. So I, I don't want to. I don't want to be in that situation anymore. I sure in the heck don't want to be in the situation now with these guys shooting DSS. Because unfortunately, that guy was shooting leads. I wouldn't want to be in that situation with TSS. But anyways, like I said, if I'm going to gobble, which it's mainly in the fall where I don't have near the hunt pressure that that I normally have, I, I just don't do it in the spring for safety reasons. Yeah. Anybody else? Yeah, go ahead. Okay, in the fall, when you're looking for these adult gobblers, I find them by accident. I mean, I'm just out there. Right, right, right. I run into either a gobble or two or three or six or eight right. by accident. Right. Do you have any tips to actually target to eliminate a lot of time spent wandering around? Right. To try to find my first tip my first tip is very simple. How many of you guys bow hunt? I don't. I I the only time I bow hunt is when I can't hunt turkeys. The reason I don't bow hunt is I go, I go, okay, I go, but I don't hunt. The reason I go is so she don't know that, that she knows I'm going hunting. But that, but I, but I'm out, I use my boat when I go to the woods, our boat season comes in PA first of October. I don't carry that thing. I'm out scouting for turkeys. What I'm looking for then is a food source, okay? And if I find a good food source, sooner or later you're gonna find gobblers on it, okay? Now, Gobbler scratching versus hen scratching. Hens dig constantly, okay? If you ever come up on some scratching where you've seen a hook here, and you take 10 steps and you see a hook here, against the side of a log, against the base of a tree, that's gobbler. It's, it's, it's no doubt, no doubt. But I do a lot of scout, do a lot, a lot of pre-scouting on gobblers. Usually I try to have at least in PA, because I go to Ohio, and I don't come home from PA, so I do my scouting before I go to Ohio and try to get on to where I'm seeing some, some adults, gobblers in, in some places, at least try to get a couple of groups of gobblers close. Now another situation is, as I've hunted my areas enough, when you get a hunting pressure and you start getting hunting pressure, because we got archery season and then we got a week of inline season and stuff, 
and then, and then you got a youth season set with center fire rifles and a, and a senior season. When that pressure starts, I got a pretty good idea of where they're going to push these birds, okay? So I'll check out them places at that time. The best situation that you can get in to killing gobblers in the fall, and you only get this about every five years, and, and I don't, down south you probably don't have as many of them, but when you go from northern Virginia into, into northern Pennsylvania, Pennsylvania, New York's just loaded with them. By far the turkey's favorite food is a beech nut. I've had them walk through a pit cornfield with corn laying and they won't even touch that corn when there's beech nuts they go in it. If you know there's beech nuts, you don't have no, you don't have to do no scout. Uh, two years ago we had beech nuts. First day out I, I get into gobblers and pee. I didn't even, I didn't even go scouting because I knew there was beech nuts. I, when I go out early, that's the first thing I look for. Now I call Larry because Larry's got a big beech nut tree down there where his cabin's at. A lot of times I'll call Larry and say, Hey, is that beech tree down there got beech nuts on? If that tree's got beech nuts on, there'll be beech nuts the whole way up the northeast. But if you get a year where there's beech nuts, and another thing of it is, is they won't leave it. They'll be there all through deer season. They'll be through all their, and, and they'll, they'll be in there that spring when there's beech nuts on the ground. It's just, it's just the best food source I know they are. But I pre-scout way early in the fall and try to, try to locate birds and stuff. But I've been hunting enough places now that I can pretty much, like I got a place in Ohio, just unreal in the fall, you know. Um, I'll show you something you probably haven't seen too much of. Double spurs, okay. They were not spring gobblers. They were both fall gobblers, killed in Ohio about three quarters of a mile apart. The first one I killed, there was, there was eight other gobblers with it, so I guess I shot the right one, didn't I? <laughs> the second one was by himself, but that's just something there, you know, that uh, I, I don't know. I, doubt, I know one guy that has shot two double-spurred birds in the spring, but I'd be surprised if there's anybody other than me that has shot two double-spurs in the fall, you know, and stuff like that there. But like I said, I put a lot of time in on it. But I, most of the places I hunt now, I, I pretty much pretty much know where I'm going to find them and stuff. Usually, them things are always in the hardest places and the trashiest woods. When you got a year where you ain't got no mass crop, they're in, they're in the trashiest woods. Another thing, I don't know, I don't know how far, I know, I know Ohio has it, but autumn olive. Now, autumn olive, they brought that in, they brought that in, especially in Pennsylvania on the strip mines, they brought autumn olive in because it was only the only thing that would grow and they brought it in for habitat. Well, what they didn't realize is every songbird that eats that autumn olive berry, as soon as they fly from there, like in New York State, there was autumn olive on the side of this ridge and there was farm down there. Well, when they sold that farm, nobody moved in there, didn't any farming for three years. Well, them birds would go up, especially robins, they'd eat them autumn olive berries and they'd fly down across that road and defecate right in that field. Within three years, you could not walk through that field. That autumn olive was higher in your head. It just takes over. Now, it's, it's illegal to bring it into Pennsylvania now. It's invasive. But I want to tell you right now, if I had a piece of ground, there'd be autumn olive on it. Because, because when, when there's no mass crop in the fall, them turkeys will be in that autumn olive sometime. And, 
Yeah, yep. Deer, yep, deer will be ate up in with it. If any robin that's around that area will be in that autumn hall. It's hard to hunt in there in the fall because you got every songbird in there and they're eating them autumn olive seeds. But I mean, that's one of the things I hunt a lot in the fall too is autumn olive and stuff. Anybody else? I think my time's about up, isn't it, Mark? Well, anyways, um, thanks for coming. Um, yeah, go ahead. I just want to let everybody know his uh, interview will be on YouTube, Unicoi Callmakers. Okay. And uh, you can go back. If you can't remember what he said, everything's on Unicoi Callmaker YouTube. So. Uh, closing out, I want to thank you all for coming. Um, I really want to thank Mark um, for going to the trouble of, of putting this on and this show. I'm sure some of you be, I tell everybody about, you know, as far as coming to Unicoi, I say, Nashville ain't a pimple on Unicoi's butt. And I said, when you come to Unicoi, you got the best of the best. And I told some other call makers, I said, if you can go to Unicoi and sell a turkey calls there, and you can come home with money, and you made money in your pocket, you've made it in the call making business. There ain't, there ain't no harder sell than in that room down there right now. You got the best of the best. I don't think, to be honest with you, that some of the guys, you're not going to buy a bad turkey call at Unicoi. You know, you go to Nashville, you can't hear nothing. I mean, you can't hear nothing down there now. But one thing about it, I do the same thing that most call makers do. Take it outside and run it. You know, and, and you know, that trust and stuff and what Mark's done is just, uh, this is a phenomenal job. So I think we all need to give him a big round. Um, anybody's got any questions, come by the booth. Um, you know, I, like I said, I will tell you, I brought 26 of these with me. <laughs> I hate to tell you, there are not many left. <laughs> but anyways, you know, I, I'm not here, I'm not here. Like I said, I mean, it, it helps, this helps me sell calls, I ain't no doubt about it. But what I want to do is I want to, I want to introduce people to something in that, that they can learn something with this gobbler stuff. Believe me, Dee Dee Adams would have never told you this stuff. But I mean, you can learn something from it, and that's what I want to do. Well, thanks for coming. I am absolutely going to try that, and I am holding in my hand. Oh, yeah, that's it. Gobbler slate, baby. Is that what that is? That's what that is. And then uh, there's nothing better. I'm just saying. I've I've tried some gobbler calls, and my gobbler slate is that thing is bad to the freaking bone. Did you get the one sided or the two sided? Mine is one sided. Okay. Yeah. You? I got a two sided from him. He said the two sided has a lot better hen yelp, and I don't. I mean, I I have nothing to judge it against, so I can't say you know true or false. Not that I would think that Roger would tell me something that's not accurate. He probably knows, considering yeah, he makes them. He knows. So here's the here's the hen yelp on this thing with the backside of the call. It's got a nasally sound. It sounds like me, except with a higher pitch voice. <laughs> Real nasally. So, pretty good little hen yelp on there. So yeah, I've heard several everything. Several eastern wild turkey hens specifically that have sounded that way. The front, the front side with the hen striker. and I bought his call specifically for the gobbler yelp. Yeah.
and it cannot be matched in my opinion. I've heard some good box calls as well, but that gobbler slate, very easy to control, get your timing right, and to me sounds way more realistic than I can on a die. Oh, yeah, I bet. You know, I, I feel comfortable with my gobbler up on a diaphragm call. It's just, it's not to the level that his is. And I had some I had some good success with it this fall. That was why I bought it was for the fall season. His call is the one I used to take my fall gobbler and miss my other fall gobbler. So it, it works. Yeah, to me, even doing the Jake Yelps on a diaphragm call, it just, it it's like my head doesn't like it because... Yeah. It's not a it's not a hen call, and it's so just, I don't know. It is it's just different, and it yeah. honestly is a sound that you'd think would be easier than a hen yelp on a diaphragm, but it's not just because we're so used to the hen yelp. Yeah, yep. But so. I like it. I think it sounds great, and I have had success with it. So I think I'm gonna keep using it. Well, I think that that is a heck of a tool, and there's you know not a lot of call makers around that make a gobbler specific call yeah very true and so you know roger is one of the few that do that and you know if you guys want to reach out to roger I believe i've got a card of his a second you guys can reach roger at 717-579-0689 if you do reach out to him be sure to let him know that you heard about him from the seminar that he did at Unicoi on the Turkey Hunter podcast. Yeah, it's... be sure to let him know you heard about him from him on our show. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. So, but hey, that's beauty of uh, you know for us sad people like myself who weren't able to make it to Unicoi. We got our good buddy Andy there recording some great seminars for us, so we get to live there a little bit. Yeah, well. It's easy to record great seminars there because that's what they have. Great seminars. So it's a breeze. But I'll say it one of about probably 10 more times between now and January of next year. Plan on going to Unicoi. You will not be disappointed. And don't just, don't make the mistake I made the first year I walked in and I thought, man, I'll be through this room in like three or four hours. If you go and you take in the full experience of Unicoi, there is no way you'll be through that room in three or four hours. Run calls and talk to those call makers. You'll meet some of the nicest guys you'll ever meet in your life who are absolute turkey fanatics just like all of us. And so it's it's just a heck of a good time. I'm going to quit it. I'm not, not going to get on Unicoi anymore today. <laughs> <laughs> well, hopefully everybody enjoyed that. I know I did. And- Roger's a really nice guy. I've gotten to talk to him on the phone a couple of times. I know he's a great guy and appreciate him letting us share that seminar with y'all through the podcast. And hopefully y'all will reciprocate getting that great information by grabbing one of his calls. You get one of his calls, but do not use it in the woods. Don't use it anywhere where I also might be. Yeah. Yeah. As long as you're not where I'm ever planning on going. So Arkansas. You can use it there, because after I get one there, I'll never be back. But uh, I don't know. Alaska is a good place. You try it there. Yeah, there you go. There you go. We'll make that the favor of the week, though. Shoot a shoot a text or a Facebook message to Roger and let him know you heard him on the podcast, enjoyed it, and pick up a call or don't, but at least let him know you appreciate the good info. Absolutely. It's a good one. Sweet. All you want right. to wrap us up? Let's do it. 
Thank you guys so much for tuning in this week. We know that you have choices. We appreciate you spending our time with us. We hope you have a wonderful week, and we look forward to seeing you again next week. Goodbye. Goodbye. Maybe I should say goodbye, doll.